how that goes. Um, but um, I, I know that you've been teaching and sharing for this summer on the Holy Spirit, the, the third person of the Trinity. God exists eternally in three persons, namely the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that the Holy Spirit, I think, oftentimes is one of the most misunderstood of the Godhead. When it comes to Father God, we often uh, have an image, for good or for ill, in our mind, we have an idea of who God is. Maybe it's a, it's a man on a throne. Sometimes it's a, it's a man with a beard. Sometimes it's just a throne that, that is engulfed in the glory of God. And then when it comes to the Son, we have... Um, you know, we have movies, we have portraits, we have, uh, we have art. And again, for good or for ill, probably some that are good and some not so good. But when it comes to Jesus, we have images all over. I mean, people are wearing t-shirts sometimes that say, Jesus is my homeboy. And it's some kind of rendition of Jesus on there. But we have this idea of who Jesus is. And so, so there's the Father. And we know that right now, uh, God the Father sits on the throne and at his right hand is Jesus Christ, the Savior of our souls. But the member of the Godhead that showed up in the tent tonight is the Holy Spirit. And he's the one that often gets the most misunderstood. And so we're coming here tonight, and, and I want to share a little bit on that. I'm going to share a little bit of my testimony, not, not for the sake of talking about me, but I, I know that we... I, there's, a, there's connecting points with one another on our journeys with the Lord that sometimes are helpful to one another. And as we're sharing today, uh, Pastor Tim mentioned that we are from Minot, North Dakota, and uh, we are uh, North Dakotans. And so we have another word, uh, another vocabulary for amen in North Dakota. It's called you betcha. So, so feel free to let out a you betcha, if you, if you feel, right? Right, Julie, you, you, you betcha, right? And, 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 and if something's a little off, if, if my teaching is off, there's, there's a North Dakota word for that too. It's called ufta, ufta. And if I hear ufta, I'm, I'm, I'm switching gears, I'm redialing in this whole thing. But if I hear you betcha, okay, that, you know, we were in, the, in an airport a couple weeks ago, and this, this, this lady walks by, and so we're, we're in the little terminal, you know, and, and if you've ever flown to North Dakota, and maybe Montanans can understand this too, like there's the beautiful part of the airport with all the mall and all the gift shops and that kind of thing, and then you walk down these like dark corridors, and there's like the flights, right? These little tiny gates that go to places like Minot, North Dakota, and Williston, North Dakota, and Butte, Montana, and so we're down there, and we're just sitting there at our gate, that kind of thing. This lady walks by, and she's like, oh, North Dakota? you betcha and I was like come on and then she said you betcha a and I was like that is Canadian okay I, I received the you betcha I'll, I'll 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 accept that but don't don't confuse me with Canadians no offense to Canadians by the way okay they're a different kind of child of God so anyway so we got oofta uh things are going bad we've got a you betcha things are going good all right one of the names of the Holy Spirit, and, I, and I'm going to quote the King James in John 14, 26, and it says this, but 
the, and the main text that, that I want to share is going to be 1 Corinthians 13, but this one out of John 14, 26, and some of you might know this by memory, but it says, but the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. In the King James, and there's an old uh, 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 English translation also that you, you might have heard of that was popular in the United States in the early years, the Geneva Bible. And, and, and there were other translations that early on, they translated a Greek word that is parakletos or paraclete. And some translations were so stuck with, they didn't know how to translate it, that they just left it as paraclete and said, we won't do anything with it. We'll just treat it like a divine name and we'll just go, go with it. But, but it was a, in John 14, 26, it's referring to this third member of the Godhead, this Holy Spirit. And it's saying that he is the comforter. He is the one who brings comfort. He's the one who comes alongside. He's the one who is with. He's an advocate, some translations will translate it. Some others translate it in English as the helper. The helper, the, the one who comes alongside. But this Holy Spirit, this third member of the Godhead, and this given to us in such a way that Jesus, in his earthly ministry on this earth, was in this place. I mean, could you imagine being... Alive during the actual ministry of Jesus. When he's there, he's, he's healing, he's touching, he's teaching, and he's, he's doing these things, and you're there, and you can do that. And, and, and you're thinking, how could it get any better than this? We have Jesus, right? <laughs> you betcha. <laughs> how could it get any better? And, and, and there, in the midst of that, Jesus says, I'm going to go away, and I'm paraphrasing here, but he said, and it's going to be good that I go away because I am sending you a paracletos. I am sending you a paraclete. I'm sending you a comforter. I'm sending the Holy Spirit so that from the time that Jesus ascended and the promise of the Holy Spirit was given to the disciples, manifest as we see in Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost, that they're filled with the Spirit, that God himself dwelled among his church, that in the old covenant where, uh, where, where the, the temple of the Holy Spirit was a physical temple, that the new temple would be the believers in Christ, it would be you and me, that the glorious place that God would dwell would be in the midst of us, both personally in us and corporately as the body of Christ. This is the place where God says, more than anything on earth, the Spirit of God will dwell in us. And it's so good. We have it so good that Jesus said, it's good that I go away, that you would receive the Holy Spirit. And at this point in time, in God's big plan, after Jesus ascended, the Holy Spirit comes and, and now the Holy Spirit abides in us and with us until the return of Christ. But God is with us now by the Holy Spirit. And yet, so many times... He's the most misunderstood. Because <laughs> we can get our heads around a father and we can get our heads around a son, but then there's this spirit. 
And sometimes that's, that's difficult for us to do. But to think of God as a comforter. You know, I was thinking about just the comforts that we have in our life today. You know, I know in some ways a lot of us have been through a pandemic. A lot of us have been through hard times. A lot of us have been through things and that kind of thing. But we also must put it in perspective. Throughout all of human history, most of humanity could not have dreamt of the luxuries of life that most of us in this room enjoy. There's a missionary who um, was in a tribal type situation and he had never been outside of this primitive tribe and, and, and missionaries went and, and shared with him the gospel of Jesus Christ and, 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 and later um, one of the, the tribes members came to the United States and he was in awe. And this is somebody who hunted and gathered for food that somehow in the United States of America, you drive up to windows and people hand you bags of food. <laughs> and you just drive away. Food you didn't have to hunt. Food you didn't have to kill. Things you didn't have to gather. Just showed up. You just pull up. But can I tell you, we've taken it one step further. We're too lazy to go through the drive through now. We think of what could be handed to us, and we sit on our chair and say, wait a minute, I want somebody to dash it to my door. <laughs> somebody could come bring it to me because it's too much effort to have to go and get that myself. We were, we've been watching this, and we're sitting at restaurants, and just time after time, these door dashers are coming and getting food. I mean, it's great. This is, the, this is where we live. But some of us can remember, you know, I, I'm not old enough to remember, you know, I don't have the story of, you know, early on in, in my life that I had to, you know, walk to school and, you know, the walked uphill both ways and all that, you know, kind of thing. But I just, I, I, I just employ your sympathy for just a minute because, because I remember a day, young people, I remember this day. On Saturday morning, I'd have to get up and watch cartoons and they were only on one day a week. And after they were all over, I had to wait another week. And you would watch a, a television program, and there'd be a cliffhanger on the end, and then you'd have to wait a week. And now you tell your friend about a show you like, and they're like, I binge-watched up until season six last night. You know, and, and, and it's just... It's instantaneous, it's entertainment, it's food, it's, we, we have access to things. We have access, by the way, to more scripture than any other person in history. You have, probably in your phone, your tablet, your computer, you have more Bibles than, than most scholars had 50 years ago. All that your access for free. We have all of this stuff. But here is, my, here is my dilemma that I think we're in. I think we have so many comforts and so little of the comforter in our lives. We have binge ourselves on this stuff in this life so much 
that honestly, the Holy Spirit kind of seems like a luxury that we might need someday, like when things get really bad. But I'm telling you, there's an invitation by the Lord to binge on the Holy Spirit, on the Comforter, as much as you want. And that there's a satisfaction that He can provide. That nothing in this world can. And if we're not careful, we'll get so filled with artificial fillers of life that we'll not long for it. When I was, uh, I was raised in a Christian home, but I wasn't really a Christian. My, my mom and dad were saved. My mom and dad got saved as young adults. Um, so I was raised in an evangelical home. We kind of went to church. We were church hoppers, I guess. And, and, and we'd go to church. But I, I had clever ways of getting out of church. I knew different techniques so that I would somehow be late enough where, sorry, Dad, I just can't go to church. I'd heard Bible stories. I've heard those things. And I wasn't anti-God, but I wasn't really for God either. And God to me was something that was down the road. I'll worry about God. I... I was 13 years old, and I went to small school, e even though we're in Minot, which is a decent-sized community. Outside of that was a rural school at the time called Bell School. And in that school, um, they had a basketball team for the junior high. When you go to a small school, in order to have a team and have a starting five, there's one requirement. You need five starters. Okay. They had four. Now, this may come as a shock to you, but I'm not exactly an NBA star uh, with my build. And as a seventh grader, eighth grader, I'm sitting there. I don't like basketball. I don't like to play basketball. And I've got all my friends putting pressure on me. Go play basketball so we can have a team. You'll be on the starting five if you just sign up, right? <laughs> it's like, yeah. So finally, the principal himself comes and asks me, would you please be on the team so we can have a team? So I'm like, okay, we have a team. He said, one thing, you, just, you have to have a basketball physical to go um, to be on the team. And, and I, I said, okay, told my mom and went in. I'm 13 years old. I think I'm totally healthy. I go in to have a basketball physical. The next day after the physical, I come in and my friends and the principal and everybody's asking, you know, hey, you ready to start? And I said, no. I said, I, I actually can't play basketball. And they said, well, why not? I said, I said, I didn't pass the physical. And as, as I was there in the hospital, they'd ordered more tests and they found out that I had high blood pressure in the upper part of my body and low blood pressure and almost no pulse in the lower part of my body. A long story uh, short here is, is we go on and on and on and, and I end up, I, I live in Minot, grew up in, in rural Minot, end up in a, a, a hospital in Fargo. And they're doing all these tests and they find out that I have a, a heart condition that I had since birth that was never detected and the aorta is the main artery that goes out of your heart that all of us have. And mine was hardened and blocked and never grew since I was a baby. And it's now 90-some percent blocked. And so my blood pressure is incredibly high on the top part of my body, incredibly low in the low part of my body. And I'm going through all these tests. They're doing this. Pretty soon I'm on a table. They're shooting dye in me. They're finding all these things. I'm 13. I I'm, just, uh, I'm just a kid. And, and I have no... No health problems before this. I'm sitting there, and then finally they 
they discuss it and they come in with my family and they said, here's the deal. You had this heart condition. We have no idea why it was never detected, um, but it's, it's serious. They said, if, if you don't do something, if we don't intervene, you probably won't live to be 18. You, you are a time bomb right now. And they said, and because of the way it's hard and because of what, what's happened, they said, we're going to have to cut out a portion of your aorta through an open heart surgery. And we're going to open that up and we're going to patch it with Gore-Tex. And then we're going to form part of an aorta out of Gore-Tex to make up for that thing. And if you do that, you can live a normal life. But if you don't, you're not going to live very long. So the decision is made. It's the night before the, the open heart surgery. I'm in Fargo on a pediatric floor of a hospital. And all of a sudden, things are getting real the next day. So my parents leave. Then a surgeon comes in. The surgeon comes in, and he says, there's a 10% chance that you're going to die tomorrow. And, I, and I ha- by law, I have to tell you that. He said, but to be honest with you, there's, there's something I'm more concerned about. And he said, we're going to have to operate on you sideways because of how, how large you are for what we normally do the surgery on because I was 13, and I was almost as tall as I am right now. And so, and they said, we're going to have to make an incision from the middle of your chest, go all the ra- around your shoulder blade, all the way up your back, and we're going to have to open you up sideways, and we're going to have to operate really close to your spinal cord. And if we nick your spinal cord, you're going to be paralyzed for the rest of your life. And so, I'm sitting there, getting this news. Everybody leaves, and I'm just sitting in this hospital room by myself. And I'm sitting there, and, and, and I, I'm... I'm, all these questions are coming to me, like, do I really believe in God? And, and I, I, all I, it was kind of one of those things, like, sometimes after somebody tells you bad news, some of you have had this, you've had a bad report, and, like, everything else that happened after that was just the, the, the Charlie Brown teacher. You know, you just, wah, 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 wah. That, you, you didn't hear anything after that. And I'm just like, what's going to happen? And I thought, man, if I die tomorrow, and what if it all just ends in darkness? And if it all ends in darkness, what a sad lot of life I've been given. What a horrible tragedy that life is, that I only live this long, and it's all over. And I wrestled with questions, knowing I didn't have much time. And I came to believe that, yes, I do believe there's a God. And yes, there has to be meaning to life. And I just knew this one thing. I knew enough about scripture and Bible stories to just know this. And trust me, I didn't know much. But I knew that if I met God, that if I don't make it through this surgery, and if I meet God, that I'm not ready for that meeting. I knew I was a sinner. I just knew it. I knew that I'd failed God. And so in a hospital room by myself, no altar call, no music, no pastor, nobody, no friend, no anything, and I'm just sitting there, and I make an altar out of my hospital bed, and I kneel down, and I said, God, and I didn't pray some, I'm quoting out of the King James today, but I didn't have some King James prayer, by the way. It wasn't like I had this big, cool thing. Lord, it saveth me, here I am. You know, come hither to thee. You know, I, I you betcha. And I, and I, I got nothing. It, I, I probably said you betcha in that prayer, you know, or at the end of it. And I'm there and I pray and I, and I just said, God, forgive me of my sins and please give me one more day. And here's what I want you to know, that something happened in that hospital room that night. Because I had such a peace in my heart at that moment that it did not matter 
if I lived or died the next day. I knew beyond the shadow of a doubt that I was right with God. I knew that I had two good situations ahead of me. One is that I would die and be with the Lord and see him face to face. The second thing is that God has saved me and I'm okay with God and I can live a life in relationship with him. What I understood later, I did not have the terminology. I did not have the uh, theology to understand it. But I know now that I was not alone in that room that night. The comforter was there. The one who brings comfort. The helper. The paracletos. The, the paraclete. The, the one who comes in, in, into that was there providing a peace in me that I didn't have words at the time. And not until years later would I have to understand. But I realized that the Holy Spirit was actually there. And can I tell you something on a side note? That there's different reasons why some people praise God. And it has to do with Praise is really just a response to who God is. And if God has showed up in your life as a provider, you praise him for that. If God has showed up in your life as a healer, he provides you. But can I tell you that that night, something dawned on me that I've never forgot, and I try to never, ever, ever forget it. That God is so loving that he cared about a 13-year-old kid in North Dakota that he would make a personal appearance by virtue of the Holy Spirit, to be with his people. I don't know what you might be going through right now. And it might be a hell situation, and it might be a totally different situation. I can tell you, there's a comforter who works in every situation. He, he, he comforts you. <laughs> He's there with you. He comes alongside you. He's there with you. So that was my beginning, my first encounter with this third member of the Godhead that we're teaching on tonight called the paraclete, called the Holy Spirit. It was a few years later I was in a Bible camp. And by the way, and, and this is young people here especially, if God does a work in your life and you leave from that camp, you leave from that event, you leave from that Wednesday night service, you leave from that tent meeting, you leave, leave from that, and you go and just totally mess up after that, the comforter still loves you. And the comforter is still with you. Because can I tell you, it took me years. I'm still working on it. <laughs> I'm still working on it. And you betcha that God still works in those ways. That it is okay that when God has done a work in your life, that if you take two steps and fall flat on your face, that God is still there to pick you up. And friends in the group know that about each other. And someday it's going to be you that falls. And you need somebody else to pick you back up. But it took me a long time to get this figured out. And I was sitting there because this, this was my big thing was that I got Jesus, the Bible, the disciples, and I love the New Testament. I struggled with this whole church idea. Churchy people. Hypocritical people. 
religious people that weren't necessarily in their heart really converted. And it took me a while to get through some of that. But I can tell you, I was at a, a Bible camp a few years after my, my open heart surgery. And by the way, my, my doctor, my surgeon that came in, he said, here's what I want you to do. He said, but before you, he said, when you wake up in that intensive care unit, the first thing, he said, the minute your mind thinks about it, he said, I want you to do this one thing. He said, I want you to wiggle your feet. And he said, and if you can wiggle your feet, we're going to be good. And I remember waking up in a probably morphine-induced coma at that time and wiggling my feet. And I remember this moment where I was like, God, I'm alive and I can walk. And by the way, if you've never been there physically, that's where we all are at spiritually with Christ. And I remember thinking, God, I can walk. And I had, I had one side of my hand that was paralyzed. These two fingers all the way down. And I was like, all right, I'm alive. I can walk. I've got a little bit of paralysis, but it's going to be okay. Three days later, I'm sitting there doing this, this physical therapy that they want me to do. And all of a sudden, I reach up here, and it's like the feeling comes back in my other half of my leg. And I'm like, God, you are so good to me. You are a healer. And you work. And I remember thinking, God, I, I have all this. And I, I have always known that God saved my life physically. And he saved me spiritually. But that was my first encounter with the Holy Spirit. And then I'm sitting there in a youth camp a few years later. Of all places in a place called Devil's Lake, North Dakota. <laughs> you think God doesn't have a sense of humor. Devil's Lake. I'm at the Devil's Lake and there I am, and I'm sitting in the back, and I'm still struggling to fit in with the youth group, the church crowd, that kind of thing. And this guy's up there preaching, and he's talking about the Holy Spirit. He's talking about how you need him. He's talking about those things. He's talking about, would somebody surrender their life? And I'm thinking, I'm, in the, I'm literally in the back row. It's not an exact, like, I'm in the back. And it's one of those, like, I don't know if people do this anymore, and I don't even know if people should do this, okay? But that was the way it was going on back then. And he says, on count of three, I'm going to ask you to get up. And he counts to one, and I'm like, I'm just hunkering down at one. Like, all right, I'm staying put. Two, I'm, go I'm good to go. I'm like hanging on to, <laughs> to this thing. Like, I am not going to be one of those people. I'm not going to be one of those hand raisers. I'm not going to be one of those people that, God forbid, would speak in tongues. So I'm holding on, and I don't know what happened next, but when he said three, I was like this. <laughs> And I walked all the way up to the front, and I remember praying this. I, I went back in my mind to, the, to that hospital bed, and I said, God, you saved my life. God, I don't know if you'd ever want anything with me. I said, but I'm yours. I'm yours, God. And I just began to weep and dance. And I danced. My wife is here. I can't dance. Okay? <laughs> I was dancing over people with my eyes closed. So much so that I had kids come to me the next day and they said, what are you trying to pull? How did you do that? I, I'm not kidding. I had a guy get up in my face. He said, I don't know what kind of trick you're playing. He said, that's not funny. And I said, I don't know what you're talking about. He said, you were dancing. And I'm sitting there and all of a sudden I'm praising and I'm praying and I just fall over. I don't even believe in this at this time, right? I don't want to fall over. I don't want to do that. And, I, and I'm slain. And, 
And, and I have people there that were there that night that we still know. And, and, and I was there, and, and they could testify that, that I'm this kid that doesn't even want to go to the altar. And when I finally opened my eyes, it's like that kind of light coming from this tabernacle, and everybody's cleared out. And we joked about the middle of the night, and I, I'm, I, I don't think we're doing that tonight, but that's God's decision. But I'm telling you, it was the middle of the night, and I finally got up. And when I got up, and, 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 and again, I, I, this is just, I'm just sharing my experience. And then we're going to unpack some verses here in 1 Corinthians. And when I got up, I could barely move. And I could barely walk. And people had to carry me back. And I, in my mind still at this time, I don't want to have anything to do with this. But I gave God a little bit of room and he hit me so hard. And I'm going back. And I, this is the truth. And I'm sitting there in a youth camp. And I'm talking, like we're doing devotions that later, and I'm asking this counselor, this guy that was pointing at me, I said, so what does that mean when you're praising God and like you're not speaking English anymore? Like, what is that? And he said, that's called the gift of tongues. And he opened the Bible and he said, this is, this is biblical. Don't worry about what's happening. It's good. And so I didn't struggle so much with this idea of like forcing it or doing it or how we do it or how we get it going. For me, it was just like it was it was real. It was the Holy Spirit. Still all these questions and all these problems. But but I knew this and I had this Holy Spirit. And then I went on a quest to find the truth. And figure out who this Holy Spirit was. I knew he was a God of love. The, the Bible says he's the helper. He's the advocate. He's the comforter. He's the counselor. He's the things that we need. If you have your Bibles with you, open to 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13. And if you're familiar with this passage, you're going to know something about this passage. In fact, you're probably going to question why we're even going to this passage right now. 1 Corinthians 13, we oftentimes use at weddings, and we oftentimes use on Valentine's Day, Couples nights, uh, things where we talk about the love of God. But I started to really want to know about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the scriptures. And I found 1 Corinthians 12. And then I found 1 Corinthians 14. Because I have what some of you might be struggling with here. And that's this idea that, okay... I want this to be real, and I want this to be true. And I knew that the Holy Spirit wasn't just wacky. Although I'd seen a few wacky people. <laughs> you know what else I found out about that? Sometimes those people, yeah. <laughs> sometimes those people that were wacky with the Holy Spirit, they were also kind of wacky without the Holy Spirit, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> sometimes people are just eccentric. And not, not in, I don't mean that in even a bad way. But God wasn't asking me to be like them. He was wanting to work in my life and in your life in such a way that is in line with the Scriptures. In line with the Scriptures built on the foundation of God's revealed word and yet is unique 
in your own experience. And for years, I was like, it's 12, it's 14. It's 1 Corinthians 12, it's 1 Corinthians 14, and then Acts 2, and then following. Those are my go-tos. I had a Baptist guy come to a Bible study at our church, and, and he's like, ah, I like your church, I like everything, but I don't like your Holy Spirit, that kind of thing. And I said, do this one thing. I said, read, read Acts 2, and then read the rest of Acts. I said, but pretend like you've never been to church before and just read it. I said, and then read 1 Corinthians 12 and 14. And I said, and just tell me what you think. I said, and then we'll sit down and have a conversation. Well, I ruined a good Baptist, and now he's a Pentecostal preacher. So, you know, <laughs> and, and, and I didn't try anything. I just said, just, just tell me what it says. And he honestly looked at me, and he said, I, he said, it was like they hid this from me <laughs> in my church. Like, they never talked about this. And I said, it's, it's biblical. Can I, can I share this as a little bit of a side point? <clears throat> the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I know uh, last week, and I think previous weeks, you were talking about baptism of the Holy Spirit. You even did a Q&A on it. And so you might have covered some of these things. But I want you to know this, that every Christian who believes in the Scriptures believes in speaking in tongues and prophecy every single one in every culture every place everywhere this is not some thing we invented this is not some new invention the apostle paul said something that if some of us said this today as a pentecostal or charismatic christian people think we're arrogant paul said Thank God I speak in tongues more than all of you. <laughs> but I'd also rather have you prophesy. Every person who believes in biblical Christianity believes in the gifts of the Spirit, including speaking in tongues, interpretation of tongues, prophecies, words of wisdom, words of knowledge, the gift of healing. Just as we, as we allowed room for the Holy Spirit, as Pastor Tim led us and said, hey, if they're sick among you, pray for them. Why? Because we still believe in a gift of healing. That, that, that is still active. So the only thing, the, the, the question among Christians is this when it comes to the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Every Christian that believes, if you say you don't believe in speaking in tongues, then, then you don't believe scripture. The only question that you've got is do, did they cease? There's two groups. One would be called cessationists and others would be called continuationists. Continuationists, and we would fall in that camp, would believe that the gifts of the Holy Spirit given to the New Testament church and with a large amount of instructions in the New Testament were given for all Christians all times until the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we believe. And I would say that our position is a, a defensible position that makes sense. Most cessationists, if there's cessationists here, that most places they go to is 1 Corinthians 13. And I wondered why. And so 1 Corinthians 13 says this. And again, some of you are going to like, that are married are going to have like flashbacks of your wedding as we're reading these, these verses. <laughs> that's, that's okay. But I want to just read it. I want to read it in context, and then I want to, I want to share something. And then I want to wrap this up. And then, by the way, I want to give you an opportunity to pray. Because the same Holy Spirit we're talking about and reading about it, I didn't come here to share stories. I, I came here for you to experience this Holy Spirit. 
If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains and do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, do not, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. And where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. And when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put away the childish things behind me. For we see only a reflection in the mirror. And then we shall see face to face. And now I know in part. And then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And these three remain faith, hope, and love. Now, those who would say, our cessationists would say, yeah, but it says here that as for tongues, they will cease. It does say that. As for prophecies, they will cease. And it says when. It says when the completion comes, or better, a better translation, and some of your translations will say that, but when the perfect comes, the imperfect will disappear. In context, what's being referred to there is the return of Christ. When the perfect returns... And this makes complete logical sense. When the perfect comes, we do not need a gift of healing anymore. The healer is here. We don't need a word of wisdom. Wisdom is there with us. We don't need a tongues or the interpretation because God is speaking our language and we can all understand it. He's there. We don't need this anymore. There's a time of perfection when we will not need the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But brothers and sisters, we're not there yet. And we desperately need the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And the enemy of our souls and the enemy of the church and the deceiver tries to dilute the gifts of the Spirit in such a way that we would discount the things that we need so much in our world today. In the New Testament, and I want to be careful when I say this because please know that we believe in the absolute authority of the Word of God. In its original form, the original uh, New Testament was written primarily in Greek, the Old Testament primarily in Hebrew and Aramaic. We believe it's an, it all inspired, it's inerrant in its original form, and, and we believe in that. But there are certain things that in our modern English translations have been added to it. And I'll give you an example. It says, love is indispensable, okay? The Apostle Paul didn't write, love is indispensable. Nor did he write this number 13. He didn't do that. I just I'm coming through a season spending a lot of time and a lot of money in seminary learning the Greek language, and I can tell you, I can read it now in the original. There's no 13 in there, and there's no 12, and there's no 11. Those were helpful to put those in. It helps us understand. Because otherwise, 
if I told Rick is your name, if I told Rick that you're in, you know, open your Bible to something that Paul wrote to a church in Corinth, kind of in the middle, right? <laughs> that would be very hard in Rick's Bible for him to find that. But for our help, numbers have been added. 1 Corinthians 13 was written in the genre of epistle, meaning it's a letter. I want to put Pastor Tim on the spot, but he might be old enough. Well, he remembers when we, he might have written a letter to Julius, right? <laughs> um. And when you write a letter, you probably, <laughs> I got I to oofta, I got to move on. Somebody else, when they, when they write a letter, they put on there, you, you don't put numbers and verses in that, right? I love you so much. Verse two, <laughs> you're, you're beautiful. <laughs> Verse three, I really like you. you know. it, it's, a, a letter is written in a free-flowing form, and so are the epistles. Now, there, there's a structure to them. There is a chiastic structure. There is a, a, a method to how he writes. But those divisions are sometimes helpful to us and sometimes not. If we were to go into 1 Corinthians 12, which, you know, I, I know this is a, a big revelation. The last verse in 1 Corinthians 12 is right before 1 Corinthians 13 starts. Everybody say, wow, that was, that was impressive. But here's what it says. It says, do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now eagerly desire these gifts, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. And in the context of teaching on spiritual gifts, the apostle shifts to love. I hate to break it to us, but this, he was not talking about a wedding, even though it's totally appropriate to quote these verses as a wedding because it gives us a definition of the love of God. But what it does is it lets us know that it's in talking about the gifts and then in verse uh, chapter 14 verse 1 it says follow the way of love and watch this and eagerly desire the gifts of the spirit and what it's doing here with spiritual gifts in context and this is and by the way you can quote commentary scholars sources everything they all know this first corinthians 13 is not about a wedding it's an incredibly important part of operating in the gifts of the Spirit. It's about love. And in order for this to work, for the gifts of the Spirit to work in the local church, and I mean, if you guys can come back in, in, in one more song, and, and we'll just close here. I don't want to take up too much time here, but th this, this love, I mean, you guys gave me too many you betchas because I'm just going to keep going. But Tim oofed me, so I'm, I'm shutting her down. But I can tell you this, because people are today are wondering, how, then, and some of you are wondering in this local church or in your, the church you pastor, you're saying, but I've seen spiritual abuse and I've seen these things go on and I've seen problems and I've seen people do some stuff that I don't know if was real and that kind of thing. And although 1 Corinthians 14 is going to give us the guidelines, which are very important, there's something greater than that that will help us in the operation of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and it's love. So when we operate in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, 
we're patient. We're not rude. It's not prideful. It's, we're not envious of somebody else's gift. Have you ever noticed that the enemy tries to come in with the gifts and the baptism and those kind of things? And even in something as beautiful as the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the, the, the biblical gifts of the Holy Spirit, Satan trying to come in to bring division and envy and those things. But in order to operate in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, we must operate in the, in the love of God, which is patient, which is kind. You could eliminate some of the nonsense that maybe some of us have seen before because it wasn't kind and it wasn't patient and it wasn't loving. And Apostle Paul, it's like he sandwiches. He says, here's the gifts, the motivational gifts of the Spirit, 1 Corinthians 12. And here's how to keep order in your local church. But sandwiched in that, he says, here's what the love of God is all about. And if you operate in the Spirit, then the love of God, the love of God would be in that place. Four things. Let's all stand and we're going to get ready to wrap this up. Four things. You need a demand on the gifts of your spirit. You need authenticity. But the four things I want to look at. Do you need the comforter today? Do you need the Holy Spirit today? Do you need the gift of the Holy Spirit? Do you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit today? He's not a luxury for the super spiritual. He's a necessity for all of us as believers. And who wouldn't want a gift? Who wouldn't want a gift? Much less a gift from God. Number two is, are you operating out of love if you are operating gifts of the Spirit? Do you need wisdom? I didn't get too far in this, but have you been confused by the counterfeit? And I can just wrap it up with this. And those who study counterfeit money know this. You could spend the rest of your life trying to identify every kind of counterfeit that there is. But there'll always be a new counterfeit. And so people that are trained to identify the counterfeit for counterfeit money, what they do is they spend their time studying and studying and studying the real thing. And those that are so aware of what the real thing is can easily spot the imitation and when it comes to the holy spirit when it comes to the holy spirit he brings comfort to us and he empowers us and when we experience the authentic it eliminates and exposes the counterfeit in our lives. If you've been hurt or wounded by the Holy Spirit, can I tell you the Holy Spirit, or, or excuse me, not by the Holy Spirit, but the counterfeit of the Holy Spirit. Know this. The Spirit operates in a way that is loving, it's kind, it's patient, it's gentle. Oh yes, it's powerful. He's powerful. I want to, we're just going to worship this last song. And I'll turn this over to Pastor Tim. But man, if you need the Spirit of God, if you need the comforter in a situation you're going in, I'm just going to open these altars up. If I can pray for you, if I can help you in any way this evening, I just want to do that as, as the Lord will lead. So I just, um, I open this altar, the permission of your pastor, I open this altar.
I believe the Lord wants to do some things here. And by the way, you might be here today and you're not yet saved. And it's not yet real. And you need him. And if you just open your heart, the Bible says confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he's raised from the dead, and that you will be saved. You will. But if you need him today, these altars are open. We're going we're gonna to worship again. Go for it, Dad.
praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise you, Jesus. Yeah, church, let's just praise the Lord. One more time, lift your hands to Jesus. Lord, we love you in this place, and we thank you, God, that you're a way maker. Lord, we thank you, God, that you make a way where there seems to be no way. Could you join with me right now? Let's lift up our hands over the city of Butte, Montana. Let's just pray that God would make a way in this city. We've sang over this city. Now let's pray that God would pour out His Holy Spirit over this valley, this summit valley, God, that you would awaken this community, this, these neighborhoods, God, this city, this region, Lord, of southwest Montana and all over this state of Montana, God, as we are preparing for the Tools Conference, God, we want to see an awakening in this region. God, we want to see a great re revival, God, sweeping through our cities and through our communities, God. And we pray that it would happen here in Butte, that it would happen in Big Timber, that it would happen in Livingston, that it would happen uh, in uh, Kalispell, Lord, in Eureka, and all the way into South Dakota and North Dakota, God. We pray for a move and a revival, God. Let it happen in our time, God. Let it happen in our day, we pray. And Lord, we love you. We thank you, God, for what you're doing. Thank you for what you're doing in this place. In Jesus' name, hallelujah. Amen and amen. Well, I can't see you. Can you see me?